0: ESPN Daily is presented by Supercuts, the smarter, easier way to get a haircut. It's not just any haircut. It's Supercuts.
1: So it's about 8 o'clock on an October Sunday morning in Las Vegas. Most of the Westgate Casino is quiet. A few folks are sitting at slot machines. A couple that looks like they're still wearing their going-out clothes is walking
0: slowly through this gaming floor. Sam Borden is a global sports correspondent for ESPN.
1: Maybe they were at the fight last night. Maybe they saw Tyson Fury stop Deontay Wilder and they're just getting back to their rooms. They trudge past a bank of completely empty roulette tables on the way to the elevator. Most of Vegas, it feels like, is still asleep, but... In the back corner of the casino, way past the empty blackjack felts and the craps pits where there's nobody throwing any dice, there's this unmistakable buzz. It's the sports book. There's a line at the counter. Everyone's in jerseys, Bears jerseys, 49ers, Cowboys, and everybody is trying to get their money down on the games that are about to start. It's places like this where the sports gambling industry began. It's places like this that are the backbone of the industry right now. And in this moment, it's places like this that are facing the challenge of adapting to a new age.
0: This new age of sports betting is a pretty dizzying time to be alive. For so long, the basic idea of gambling was a cardinal sin to every league and media partner, this dangerous corruption of supposed purity of athletic pursuit. But suddenly, everything has flipped. And gambling on sports isn't just legal now, it's a high-tech industry that's growing exponentially And pretty much everybody wants a piece. So today, we take a trip behind the betting counter to meet the people who set the odds and see sports through their eyes. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, December 23rd. This is ESPN Daily. All right, Sam Borden, you are our global sports correspondent. We normally have you traveling the globe, you know, eating exotic foods, covering enormous athletic events. But for this story, we sent you somewhere very different. We sent you to Vegas. And that is because one of the biggest developments in all of sports right now is legalized gambling. And look, if you watch sports, if you consume it, if you read about it, if you listen to it, Gambling's already everywhere, right? Like, all the betting lines are infiltrating every possible sort of broadcast. They're right on the screen alongside everything else we're familiar with. But I want to try and get our minds wrapped around how this got to be so pervasive. How did this all happen?
1: So, Pablo, it feels a little bit like what you're asking is, why is it the case all of a sudden that every advertisement that we see on our phone or on TV is for DraftKings or FanDuel or <laughs> BetMGM? Is that, is that
0: basically what you're going after here? That is exactly right. With FanDuel,
2: you can make every moment of the game mean
0: more. With the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, just bet a dollar on your team, score 150 if they win.
2: Fire up your BetMGM
1: Sportsbook. And step three, showtime. It is a remarkable reality, and it does seem as though all of a sudden betting is front and center if you want to be a sports fan. And I think that, you know, the easiest answer is that all of those ads and the relevance of gambling comes from a U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2018.
2: The Supreme Court will allow states to legalize sports betting. The
3: court ruled that a 25-year-old law is unconstitutional.
2: The court struck down a federal law that banned gambling on sports games in most of the country.
1: They struck down a law from 1992 that forbids states from making betting legal.
3: The court said that barring state legislatures from legalizing sports betting amounts to an unconstitutional
1: commandeering of the state legislatures. It's probably not going to surprise you, Pablo, to know that the reason why all of a sudden that law changed has a lot to do with money, which, you know, is is unusual in professional sports.
4: Now the sports leagues are figuring out how
1: to monetize all
5: this. It's gold. People are going to watch games they have no rooting interest for because of gambling.
1: Once the leagues began to change their tune and say, hey it probably isn't going to affect the integrity of the game cuz you know gambling's legal in a lot of other countries and doesn't affect the integrity there and maybe we can figure out how to monetize it all of a sudden you saw the supreme court rule on that case and the leagues not fight against it in fact come to embrace it so far 30 states plus Washington, D.C., have already legalized sports betting in one form or another. And you would think that this would undermine the role of Las Vegas, because for a long time, Vegas was one of the only places in the country you could actually go and bet on sports. And now that exclusive market is gone. But in a lot of ways, it is still the epicenter of sports betting, because it's where most of the people who know how to run this business live and work. And kind of in the same way that while you and I can trade stocks on our computers anywhere. Wall Street is still Wall Street. Whatever happens in the sports betting universe, Vegas is still Vegas.
0: So that's what you went to go to see, right? Vegas being this place where the business side of the industry lives and and works. And I mean, well, first off, I guess, what is the job of the sportsbook in the first place? What is the day-to-day work that they do?
1: Yeah, Pablo, it's, as you would imagine, it's pretty multi-layered, right? I mean, there's one element that's setting the line, setting the spread, setting the numbers that bettors are going to make their choices on. And then the other side is actually taking the bets and deciding what bets to take and paying them out when the bettors win and keeping the money when the bettors lose. So let's say it like this, Pablo, you go into the sports book, you look up at the board and the Giants are playing the Cowboys and the spread is Cowboys minus six and a half points. And so you want to bet on the Cowboys. You're a Cowboys fan. So you bet the Cowboys minus six and a half points. Now, if the game ends that the Cowboys win 20 to 14, they only win by six, you lose that bet. But if they win 20 to 13, they won by seven, you win that bet. And in both cases, the Cowboys won the game, but your bet your wager, your money hinges on what happens as it relates to the spread that the sports book has already said. And then there's like totals bets, which are, you know, that's like what we would call like the over-under. You're betting there that say like the Rams and the Seahawks will combine to score more or less than a certain number of points. So what I wanted to do was Go and watch a sports book go through the process of setting those numbers or lines, because it seemed to me that if we're trying to understand more about the future of sports, gambling is the biggest growth area in the entire business. And while everybody in sports, you, me, everybody knows what a line is, almost no one in sports actually knows how a line gets made. So I and ESPN Daily producer Eve Tro went to the Westgate in Las Vegas to see.
0: Okay, so you and Eve, you're walking into this huge sports gambling operation. Take me in there. What's it like? All right, so
1: I guess there are a couple of things to understand about the Westgate. First, it is physically the biggest sports book in the world. So there is just tons of space. There are, you know, leather reclining chairs, there's a bar, there's people, there's giant video screens. The sportsbook at the Westgate is basically the Cadillac of sports books. It's like the place that everybody talks about, everybody knows, both from the old days and right now. And the scene inside of it is sort of what you'd imagine. There's a very active bar, despite it being, honestly, several hours before noon. And then in the front of the room, underneath these giant TV screens, is that long line I was talking about before. And that's where everybody is trying to get their money down on something. Just to the side of that line, before you get to the rack of paper with the day's betting odds kind of in shelves, there's a locked door. And through that locked door, is where we're going today.
0: And so you go from like the glitzy Oceans 11 Vegas VIP vibe to the back room, Sam, a place I have certainly never been. But this brain trust that lives back there, the business side of things, what does that seem like? It kind of
1: opens into this wider, almost like oval shaped room. There's probably a half dozen people in there. You got a 26. It looks a little bit like a miniature NASA mission control. We've got low lighting, low ceilings, monitors on both walls, people sort of hunched over terminals, and they're sporadically shouting at each other in this language that I have to say for Eve and I was pretty difficult to understand right off the bat.
5: Joe, move those things. Five cents. And right.
1: it's pretty clear that the two guys who are basically running the room are Ed and Jeff.
5: My name's Ed Sammons, uh, vice president of uh, risk management. Me and Jeff have worked together. What year, Jeff? 93. I started the
6: ID with you guys.
1: Jeff, by the way, is Jeff Sherman. His Twitter handle, Pablo, is at golf odds, which always just sort of makes me laugh because being responsible for the books, well, golf odds is actually just a very small part of his work. He and Ed oversee the operation on this very busy Sunday, and they're constantly looking at their screens as bets come in and other casinos are changing their lines and their numbers. And they're basically speaking another language. So throughout the day, I am constantly asking them what they're talking about. Can you show? Tell us kind of what you got on your screens here. I mean, like you got you got a, quite the setup here. Like looks like four four laptop screens and then sort of a flat thing going on there?
5: I got the tweet deck up, which I'm getting all the injury information from all the beat writers. I've got three tickers here from three different states. We obviously have Nevada, Colorado, and New Jersey, so we're monitoring bets there.
1: Every single bet, every one, they all get vetted by the Westgate whether they're made in person or online in Nevada or New Jersey or Colorado. And now actually, after we made the trip to Vegas, they even have their operation up and running in Arizona too. All of those bets, all of them come through this room.
5: Got the odd screen up with about 12 different casinos. And, and then I have the, uh, the system up here in Nevada and Colorado and New Jersey where I can change lines and uh, just monitor all the bets and see where we're standing on each game.
0: So what are they even talking about in there, Sam? Are they, like, uh, arguing about sports, like they're at a bar, like they're at the game? Are they arguing if Tom Brady finally fell off the cliff? Are they talking about MVP candidates? What's the deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of funny, Pablo. they are If you listen to them, they're not even really talking about football. Like, there's an occasional, oh, somebody sees something on Twitter, you know, about Tom Brady or about, you know, a big player. but. Mostly, they're talking about their job. They're talking about the market that they're setting for
5: gamblers. Uh, Let's see, it looks like we're going to need the Jaguars. First of all, we're going to need someone to win outright.
3: Oh, good point.
5: We're going to need Dallas to lose straight up. uh, The Raiders to lose straight up. For example,
1: did you catch what Ed said his title is? Because it isn't like VP of betting or even VP of sports analytics or something you'd expect for a top executive at a sports entertainment company. His title is actually vice president of risk management, which honestly sounds better suited, right? To someone who works like in an insurance company. And I think this tells you a lot about the nature of the work they're doing. It's kind of surprising, but they're not actually focused on predicting which team is going to win. They're not talking about sports. It's not about being the smartest sports mind or knowing what a team should do on fourth down.
0: So, Sam, I do want to pause here because you just gave us a pretty critical nuance, I think, right? Because what you're saying is that they don't care about predicting who's going to win the game, which is sort of the obvious thing I think you'd imagine that Vegas cares about. Right. Well, that's where it
1: gets kind of interesting because who wins and how is the primary focus for fans and even for most of the analysts that are on ESPN. But the bookmakers care about that stuff only in relation to how it moves the market that they've set. The things that you and I might care about going into a game are not necessarily super important at all to these guys who run the Westgate. And so I came across a couple of really surprising examples. One that Ed talked about very early in the day is player injuries.
5: And right now, this is where we're getting all the uh, injury information. Dalvin Cook is out for the uh, Vikings, which has moved the line exactly zero points. So all you running back fans, they mean zero in NFL betting.
1: That seems weird, right? If you're a Vikings fan or an NFL analyst, you care about Dalvin Cook being out. But even though Dalvin Cook is a big name, the NFL is a passing league right now, and running backs just don't matter that much.
0: So if an enormously influential running back being out, Sam, doesn't actually matter to these guys, which still kind of blows my mind, I admit, what does matter in Ed's world?
1: Well, I guess I guess Ed would probably quibble with the idea that he's enormously influential to start with, Pablo, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. I think he would say that quarterbacks are enormously influential, and they do matter, especially— the top tier of quarterbacks who affect scoring plays all the time. But it's not only quarterbacks.
5: The better's really key on offensive line problems. And the Panthers have all kinds of issues today on the line. And Patriots are another team. I believe they have three or four offensive linemen out. And it's just a total switch around. And that line's gone from like nine and a half down to seven and a half.
1: Right? Like, listen to that. That's a huge swing in the betting line. Originally, the Patriots were nine and a half point favorites. But now, after the news that a number of their starters on the offensive line are not going to play, Ed and the other risk managers have swung the line two whole points away from the Patriots. And it's because offensive line play has a direct correlation to offensive production. In a passing NFL, will the quarterback have time to actually make throws? And when they do want to run the ball— Will the offensive line open up any holes for whatever running back is in there, Dalvin Cook or anybody else, to run through? If not, the offense is done. And since it does matter to the final score, it matters a great deal to the smartest sports bettors. Those are the guys that sportsbooks call sharps. And if it matters to sharps, it matters to Ed.
5: It just shows you how strong that the wise guys believe in offensive line play. It's a huge thing and essentially goes unnoticed. The, the media and the public just like the star names. They don't care about linemen, and that's what the true gamblers care about.
1: Now, something else, Pablo, that true gamblers care about is the weather.
5: You always want to pay attention to the winds. Winds matter. Certain stadiums are more effective to the wind than others, so as we get deeper in the season and the weather starts to change, it's definitely something we pay attention to.
1: Casual fan will look and see, oh, it's sunny or it's rainy, or they'll look at, like, the temperature that's listed. But sharps, they know that historically those factors matter way, way less than the wind. There could be no precipitation at all, but if the wind is blowing hard, that makes it harder to pass, harder to kick, and those are the things that materially affect scoring plays, especially fast scoring plays.
4: When you do have differing opinions, do they tend to center around the same things? Well,
0: we each have our own power ratings, so it can that can come into play, but for the NFL generally, you're not going to find yourself too different. It's not something that we're going to have one person have generally minus four and someone else have minus 10. That usually doesn't come into play, so it's fine-tuning numbers that are pretty close.
1: So what Jeff's saying basically is that The difference between how handicappers look at any given NFL game is never going to be that different. And it's because we know this, Pablo, parity in the NFL is like no other sport, right? Mm. We saw the Lions beat the Cardinals, and that's (laughs) one of the worst teams in the league beating, pretty handily, one of the best teams. And so, the idea that the gap between best and worst in the NFL is so much closer than any other sport makes it really impossible for two professional handicappers to look at a game and have widely varying opinions on that game.
0: Alright, Sam, there is a lot more to discuss in terms of the ways that betting works, including who is betting and how much they're betting, and I want to get into all of that after the break.
2: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained,
0: So, Sam, I'm no gambling expert, but I do know the phrase, the house always wins. <laughs> so how else are they protecting the house here so bettors don't walk away with all of the casino's money?
1: Yeah, well, Pablo, you, you nailed it. Certainly, that is, that is always the issue in anything related to a casino. They're going to figure out a way to have an edge. And there are a lot of tools that they have at their disposal. And one of those tools came up while we were talking to a pretty new risk analyst at the Westgate.
4: Um, my name is Giselle Sandoval and I'm just watching the ticker and making sure all the sports are up to date on the lines, approving bets from multiple states.
1: So Giselle's keeping an eye on bets coming in from Colorado, which at the time of our visit was the newest outpost of the Westgate. People were very new to betting there and they were betting mostly on mobile apps.
4: How long have you been here at Westgate? About like two, three years and doing risk like six months.
1: And As we were talking, she got a call about a $20,000 bet on the Steelers and whether the Westgate would take it. Do I
4: take $20,000 on the Steelers' money line in Colorado?
5: Yes. Where, at the window? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Steelers were playing the Broncos that week, and this bet was coming in from Denver.
4: So tell us what just happened. What came in? Um, One of our players in Colorado placed a $20,000 bet on the Steelers' money line. And because we don't have as much volume as we do in Nevada, I have to ask before I can accept it.
1: They know if it's over a certain amount, they got to check in with you guys before they take the bet?
4: Yes. In Colorado, since we just started, we don't have, like, players' accounts yet. We need to know who it is and get their information.
0: So wait a second here. What is it about that bet in particular that raised questions?
1: Yeah, Pablo, there are a couple things there. Okay. So first she says Steelers money line. So that a money line bet is a bet just on a win or a loss. You're not worrying about the point spread there. That better wanted to bet $20,000 just on the fact that the Steelers were going to win by any margin. Okay. So that's what the bet was. And she had to ask for approval for a couple of reasons. First, The size, $20,000 is a lot of money.
4: I have to ask Ed and Jeff and see if if we can approve it, depending on our liability. They decide on all the big bets. I can decide on a $10,000 one, but anything over that, I have to ask them.
1: The second thing that's interesting is that because that bet came from Colorado, which is new to the Westgate system, they just came online in Colorado, they don't have a lot of information yet about the better. So You heard her mention players' accounts. Players' yeah. accounts are one of the ways that a book keeps track of their customers. If you come in and you want to bet any significant amount of money, they're going to ask you for your players' club card. This is what you get by giving over your driver's license to like a casino representative, and they give you like a little plastic credit card. Most people use it to earn rewards. Every hand of blackjack you play, every pull on the slot machine, you earn fractions of points, and you bet enough, and you get a free buffet or something like that. But in addition to earning free rewards, you also allow the casino to keep track of what you're doing. Obviously, people that are betting online, you don't need a players club card, but the casinos aren't that worried because to create an account for your phone, you need to put in your own personal information so they can keep track of you that way. Mm. While they don't have players club cards in Colorado yet, that means they're not sure who's making this bet. They don't know if it's a professional better or just a casual fan who's got a lot of money and really thinks the Steelers are
0: gonna win. So do they end up taking this big Steelers bet? They do. Just ask them
6: who it is. Like, that's what they're supposed to do ahead of well, that's that's The cool. fine, Giselle. Take the bet Thanks, and find out cool. who it is.
1: And it's largely because they have no indication that it's someone with a big edge over them. Typically, professional bettors are betting earlier in the week. The idea that it would come in this close to kickoff doesn't feel like a pro better, And so that's why I think they were more likely to accept it.
0: So in terms of the power that the casino has to veto a bet, Sam, what kind of freedom they have to make that decision to accept or reject any given wager?
1: Yeah, that power is an absolute power, Pablo. That's the thing. I mean, you know, we know this in other parts of a casino, right? If you're counting cards in blackjack, we all know, you know, bringing down the house. We've seen it in movies. They can kick anybody out that they want. It's the same thing in sports. One of the tools they can use is limiting whether they're going to take a bet or limiting the size of the bet they'll take. You know, with that bet, that the better wanted to make on the Steelers at $20,000, if they thought it was a pro, they might say, yeah, sure, we'll take that bet, but you can only bet $5,000. Mm. The sports books they want all the money they can get from casual bettors. I mean, those are the people that are going to lose over the long term. They know that. But the professional money, the sharp money, as they call it, that's important, too, because it lets them know where there are inefficiencies in their market.
0: Wait, so they're very wary of taking bets from the professionals, from the sharps, but they also find ways to use what the sharps want to do to their advantage?
1: Exactly right. The the dance is they want to get as much money as they possibly can from the sharps. And get the information the Sharps have without allowing them to take advantage of that information, right? If all of a sudden, Sharps are coming in and betting lots of money on, say, the Giants plus six and a half, well, they're going to move the line. They're going to change the line to make it less appealing for those Sharp bettors while still keeping it super appealing to the casual bettor who's just going to throw his money down either
0: way. So even if these guys are calm and collected through all of this, and it sounds pretty frantic, by the way, like taking bets, setting lines, tracking these sharps, trying to discern patterns, trying to protect the money at this casino, how does that stuff change throughout the day of an NFL Sunday?
1: Yeah, it's it's actually pretty fascinating, Pablo. Like, you know, it's sort of a steady build. Like, I'm standing there talking to Ed, and it's getting close to kickoff time. And his screen, the screen that's right in front of him, it starts blinking with all of these different colored boxes. Yeah, look at all the, all the public. I mean, this screen is going faster than we've seen it for the last hour. And you can also
5: see here in Nevada, you see the parentheses GP, GP, GP. That means general public.
1: Pro bettors are largely out of it at this point. Now it's all GP, as Ed said, general public. <laughs> these are the fans out in the book, slapping their money down on the counter. And they know what the general public is largely betting. The general public almost always is betting for favorites, and they're betting the overs.
0: Well, it's more fun that way, right? Yeah, that's
1: what fans want, right? If the over-under is 41, they're betting over 41. And so what the Westgate, what Ed, what Jeff, what pretty much any sportsbook is hoping for is that there's going to be at least one big upset. Like we saw, Lions over Cardinals, right? Because the general public, they all bet the Cardinals. And so when a big underdog wins, that makes the day for the sportsbook.
5: You know, we'll be rooting for all these crappy teams, probably the Jaguars. Just the worse the team, the more we root for them. But we just need one to win. We try to put the book in the best position to win.
0: You know, Sam, when you use these words like upset or underdog, I do understand this all better now. It sort of reframes it for me, right? Because we always think that, oh, man, the Vegas people, the people behind these computer screens, the modelers, they really know who is actually the better team here. They have all of these details. They have a very sophisticated sense of this but they don't actually seem to care about that, right? They just care about whether the general public likes a team. And so even if they think the general public is dead wrong on that, they're still going to set the betting lines based on what they see the people wanting to bet.
1: Exactly, Pablo. That's exactly right. And You know, a good example in the NFL is the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a popular team every year. They have a huge fan base and people always want to bet on the Cowboys. And What you're saying is 100% right. In the years when the Cowboys are bad, their spreads, their lines, don't always reflect just how bad they are because the books know that whatever number they put out there the general public always thinks the Cowboys are a team worth betting on. And so they set the lines based on that premise, not on just how bad the team actually is.
0: So, Sam, you had noted earlier how a huge part of the rise of sports betting today is the fact that these teams and leagues all realize now that betting on sports actually is a benefit to them as opposed to a threat to their business. Did you see examples of this when you were at the Westgate?
1: Yeah, Pablo, absolutely. I mean, at the Westgate that Sunday, I look up from those color-coded blinking screens and I see that the Jets-Falcons game is ending and the Falcons are clearly going to win.
2: And the Falcons have a touchdown. 2-19 to play. And the Falcons stretch their lead to 10.
1: Crazy, right? Like, 27-17. The spread in this game, I don't know exactly here, but in many pools, including one that I'm in, three and a half points. So if the Jets score here, they cover, plus three and a half. So what I'm saying to Eve right there is that for most people who don't have any money on the game, even Jets fans, they'd probably turn the game off because it's over, the Jets aren't gonna win. But at this point, anybody who does have money on the game is absolutely still locked in. So it's like, yeah, down by 10, two minutes left. The game is basically over from a result standpoint, but from this red, this is like, you know, yeah. the
4: this, this setup. Yeah, it's, a, it's adding this other dimension that mm-hmm. attracts a different type of viewing.
1: You not only get people watching a broadcast until the very end, you get people watching entire games they might not tune into at all, because they have money on them. And so to cater to that audience and grow that audience, the leagues, the broadcast outlets, just like ESPN and the advertisers, they all feel pressure and opportunity of bringing betting even more inside that big giant tent of sports.
0: Well, we clearly see that growth at ESPN, Sam, to sort of get a little bit meta here. I mean, there's a whole team (laughs) of our colleagues based there now. They live in Vegas. They do a lot of our gambling coverage. And one of those guys, Doug Kazarian, who hosts the Daily Wager show, I mean, he's been on this show guiding me through a few small and silly bets on this program. But you went to his house and you found, it seems, another sort of command center for sports betting.
1: Exactly, Pablo. I went and saw Doug, and I should say his French bulldog Arthur.
6: What a beautiful coat, it's sort of like gray. What I know he it is. Coat? It's a Great. really different color. Yeah. Please don't lick my microphone.
1: Like he's got a folding table with multiple computers on it. He's got wires running this way and that.
4: This is, the, this uh, is where the
6: magic happens.
4: This is where the magic happens. Uh, there you
6: go. I just built this thing here
1: so many different screens hung up on the wall each with its own cable box and this is so he can track as many games as possible at the same time my first question is so we see five tv screens i see at least four laptops Mm -hmm. do you spend more on cable and internet or food in a given month
6: uh it's a very good question my yeah my cable bill is in the neighborhood of 500 a month but i would have to say i spend more on food but i can't i have like Let's see, I have probably, I think, eight cable boxes in the house.
1: So the reason Doug has this kind of a setup is that in addition to appearing on ESPN's betting show, Daily Wager, he's also a Sharp, that kind of professional better we were talking about before, who makes his own projection models for teams. And basically, he sits in front of a dozen screens on a Saturday, mining for advantageous in-game betting opportunities. The other thing Doug said that I think is really fascinating is that the best comparison for how sportsbooks operate is to think about them as something like the stock market.
6: You're assessing a group of people, which could be the Raiders or a company, right? And how they're going to perform based on perception and projections. And you are basically betting against other people on what has going to happen in the future. And then the, the bookmakers are brokers, they're brokering a deal, and that's the parallel.
1: So sharps like Doug have accounts at all of the sports books.
6: You know, it's a game of, uh, you know, chicken, really. It's like, how much are we willing to be exposed on and lose? Because they can absorb it.
1: Yeah, that game of chicken that he's talking about, that's what we were saying before, Pablo, right? It's like this dance. The books want to get as much from the professional betters, the sharps, as they can without bringing their own risk up to unacceptable levels. And so it's a little bit of a back and forth. Like, yeah, we'll take your action, we'll take your action, we're done taking your action. (laughs) And that's the dance that these sharps, like Doug, have to go through. And so now I want to go back to the Westgate, Pablo, because I want to show you how the guys on the other side of that game were doing.
0: All right, let's do that after this break. So Sam, we're back at the Westgate now where all of the risk analysts are still in their dark, secretive data layer, I suppose, crunching numbers, scanning their infinite screens of spreadsheets. But what's going on out in front where, you know, the general public is?
1: Yeah, Pablo, it's uh, pretty much a party, it's packed. People are well into their consumption of uh, all kinds of various adult beverages. And by the late afternoon, every leather club chair in the place is filled, and it's loud. And the guy that's sort of reigning over the entire place is a guy named John.
3: I'm John Murray. I'm the executive director of Race and Sportsbook for the, the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook. John makes sure
1: everyone is taking care of Pablo, the staff, the customers, VIP guests, and especially what they call house players. These are like high rollers. These are the guys making big bets, but they're not running their own data models. They definitely don't have a setup like Doug has. They're just doing it for fun and because they have money to burn. So from John's standpoint, from the casino standpoint, they are crucial to the business. They should interview you guys. So he's playing host. He's also tracking the bets or tickets, they call it, like how many are written up at the counter, how many are coming on the app. It's actually about 70% on the app, by the way. And John is probably the one at the Westgate who most acutely feels all of the new competition. They're playing catch-up with DraftKings and FanDuel. And those are the places that have a huge jump on the online market. And part of John's job is trying to get new customers there and he's trying to keep the high rollers that he has both in person and online. He's trying to keep them betting with the Westgate.
3: We consider ourselves an industry leader in getting a lot of uh, events up for betting on the menu that no one else has. We get the lines up first. We try to offer fair limits to all of our guests. It's also John's job to manage the sportsbook's relationship
1: to the overall casino bosses. Remember, it's not just the sportsbook. They're running a whole casino with blackjack, craps, roulette, and everything else.
3: We have losing days. Uh, every football season, there's an NFL Sunday where all the favorites cover and the book just gets crushed. As you handle more money and there's more money in these pools, you can also lose more money. I mean, yeah, if we're gonna start winning five times what we used to win, when we're in all these states, that means that we're also gonna have days where we lose five times as much as we used to lose, and we have to explain why to, the, to certain people, and it's part of the job.
1: Now, Pablo, before John had this current job, he was a risk analyst, like Ed and Jeff, and before he kind of went into the front office, such as it is, he was involved in setting those lines, figuring out what the spreads should be, and so he still leads this big meeting that the whole group has every Sunday.
3: So what'd you go with Ed, you have three, Miami three and 45? Oh. Three and 45. Now we're doing next week's lines, week six numbers, and as we agree on them, Ed's turning the betting on.
1: It happens in the middle of the four o'clock East Coast games, they get together and they set the first betting lines for the following Sunday's games.
5: I got Ravens three and a half.
2: That's what I have. That's what I got the do. same.
3: I got three and Where else? One and a half.
2: I'm I'm, I'm willing to go
0: higher. So the games are still going on on this particular Sunday, but Sam, this is the moment, it seems like, when all these risk analysts are deciding to put out their sort of IPO almost, like their initial public offering on the next week's slate of games. Like this is when their read of the market turns into actual stakes with people putting down real money.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Pablo. And even though it feels like a huge thing, I mean, it is a huge thing. It's it's the first chance for everybody to get their money down on this next week's set of games In a lot of ways, I was struck by how incredibly casual the whole thing was.
5: I got two and a half and 45.
6: I have three and 44.
5: I
1: got three and 45 and a half. And each of the guys calls out their line.
5: Uh, I got Rams 10 and 47. I have 10 and 48. Nine and a half. With no Jones.
1: There's literally not a single mention that we heard of A strategy, Uh, for the most part, there were almost no players mentioned. There was no like DVOA or any of these advanced stats mentioned. And they were always so close to each other that setting the actual line wasn't difficult. I'm with
3: you, my number's three, but I think that they'll take the right. I made it Cleveland three when Cleveland was up by two touchdowns. They've given up three touchdowns in the last five minutes. This is like the
1: beginning of the dance, right? between the professional bettors, the casual bettors, and the books, in terms of how the markets move, how the line
2: changes.
5: Okay, so our lines are up now, so basically what's gonna happen here is one of these offshore accounts is gonna start putting up. Essentially, they'll take our lines, put their opinion into it, and then others will copy, and then, so here they go right now.
4: Are you guys, like, first?
5: Yeah, we're always first in the NFL.
1: And they'll be able to tell by how the pros bet whether they need to make adjustments. It's one of these things that, as a sports fan, we sort of take it for granted. We hear about a line movement or the over-under or whatever, but to be able to see it in action, here's how the line's made, and here's how that dance begins, it was pretty cool.
0: Now, obviously, Sam, gambling does come with risk, and I want to say right here that if you or someone you know has had problems stopping gambling, There is a national helpline for that. It is 1-800-522-4700. But for the adults, Sam, who are aware of all of these risks and they want to place bets, what should those listeners keep in mind, do you think, navigating all of this?
1: You know, Pablo, I think there's a couple of things that they should keep in mind. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I think the first thing is that they have to realize that they are an incredibly tiny, tiny, tiny minnow in an increasingly giant pond. And so what they do within the context of that massive landscape is really a very small, small part of the larger business, right? Like it's unlikely that A, they're going to get really, 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 really rich and also unlikely B, that what they do is going to have a material impact on Ed or Jeff or any of the sports books that they're going to be involved in betting. I think the second thing to keep in mind is that it's really hard. While we think as sports fans, we know what's going to happen to a given team or in a given game, the reality is is that there are a lot of really smart people who are looking at how to set up these betting markets and beating the betting market is really difficult.
0: And Doug, our colleague, Doug Kazarian, he gave you another way to look at all this, Sam, not even as winning or losing money. When we were hanging
1: out with Doug, he made the point that a lot of times when casual bettors think about money lost, they get upset. They, they get frustrated about betting on sports. But if they were to think about it as money spent, nobody gets upset once you decide, oh yeah, I'm gonna pay this price and I'm gonna go have this
6: experience. To me, there's no difference between going to the bar and having a bucket of beers with your two buddies than there is if you go to the bar and watch a game and you each put in like 10 bucks and have a $30 parlay on something. You literally have a shared experience, a little bit more kind of intrigue on some things, a rooting interest, and then you could all go home.
1: Imagine if you paid your 15 bucks to go to a movie and depending on how the movie ends, you might win a prize. People wouldn't be frustrated if they didn't win a prize. They still enjoyed the movie. That's the different element here. And I think generally a casual bettor would probably have a little bit more enjoyable experience than if they were to get so wrapped up in whether they won or lost money on the game itself.
0: Sam Borden, I figure that this is the point in the podcast where I hit you with like a bunch of puns about Vegas while saying thank you. So instead, I will simply tell you, Good job.
1: Under the sharp betters who took <laughs> the under, they came through yet again. Thank you very much for having me. Uh.
0: I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Ryan Mantell, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Eve Tro, Chris Tumanello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andre Soto, Eric Neal, Garrett Lang, Emma Erdbrink, and Jackson Adjalo. Now, one more note, we're taking a production break through the end of this year, and in the meantime, we're going to queue up for you some of our finest storytelling for your holiday listening. If you're on a road trip, you're running an errand, you're taking a, you know, long reflective walk at dusk, we have you covered, and from all of us here at ESPN Daily, most importantly... We wish you a very safe and very peaceful holiday. Thank you for spending 2021 with us. We will talk to you in the new year.